This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, your source to healthy living. Welcome, everyone. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me today. If you suffer from anxiety, this show is definitely for you. We all experience anxiety at one time or another. Most of the time, it feels debilitating to have it. But what if I told you that you could harness the power of your anxiety? Joining me today is Dr. Chloe Carmichael. She is a clinical psychologist and author of Nervous Energy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Claudia. It's great to be with you. I'm excited to talk about this because we all have anxiety. Um, but as a clinical psychologist, you have likely seen numerous patients with anxiety and have watched it, you know, make individuals unable to function. So I suppose the first question I have is, does everyone experience it? And is it different for everyone? Yes and yes. <laughs> so yes, in fact, everyone experiences it. And what I want people to know is that that's actually a good thing. We're supposed to experience it. So a lot of times I see people, they get kind of anxious about anxiety, as opposed to realizing the good news is, is that anxiety has a healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. And it's when we don't know how to listen to it that it actually can fester and become more problematic. And in your book, one of the pieces of advice that you offer is add worry time to your calendar. What is the strategy behind that? So a lot of very busy, intelligent people, they have what psychologists call a high need for cognition. Their mental wheels are always spinning. And so they could even just be standing in line at the grocery store and they find a million different things popping into their head like, oh, gee, you know, did I revise my insurance for such and such? Or, oh, uh, am I behind on my birthday shopping? Or they, their wheels are always turning. And so I find that sometimes they get stuck in sort of a black and white pattern with that, where they feel like they have to either complete all of those thoughts and all of those concerns right there on the spot, or they have to just push them out of their head and say, oh, I'm just going to try to be in the moment, push those worries aside. And that's not really satisfying to them either, because their executive lobe of their brain isn't really ready to let go because a lot of times they're actually thinking of worthwhile issues, maybe just at the wrong time and place. So we solve for that with the worry time event. Some people put, say, 10 minutes in their calendar every day. Some people put one hour a week, whatever's best. But the idea is that when you find random worries popping into your head, you simply deposit them into the calendar event details. And then you come back and you deal with them later when you really have your full mental resources. You're not doing it on the fly at the grocery store, but you're also recognizing that these are valid concerns and you're not just trying to push them to the side. And what is it about anxiety that makes it debilitating? Because, for example, you know, it is stressful if all of a sudden you think, oh, my gosh, did I forget to pay this bill or is that due or did I forget a birthday gift? What is it about the anxiety that actually makes it debilitating? Well, in a, in a weird way, Mother Nature is trying to do us a favor. So when we say debilitating, what a lot of times we mean is my mind freezes and I can't think about anything else except for that one thing. All of a sudden, you know, that birthday gift is just huge in my mind and my blood runs cold and it's all I can think about. And actually, that's a gift from Mother Nature, uh, kind of from the caveman days, when we felt like we were under some sort of a threat, 
all of our resources, physical, mental, everything, would become focused like a laser beam on this one thing. Now, that can actually become, as you said, debilitating if we're trying to actually run around and live the rest of our lives, but we're getting this laser beam pull about random issues now and then. So again, that's why we would use a technique like worry time, where we would say, okay, laser beam, I'm going to give you your moment of focus. I'm going to record this event to consider into my uh, worry time event calendar. And then that will free your mind to focus on something else in the meantime. It sounds to me like the worry time calendar event is actually going to make you more organized and prevent you from getting to the point where you've been so busy that you forget whether you've completed certain tasks. I feel like it's actually just going to lend to being organized, getting things done in a timely manner. And it gives you that razor sharp focus to focus on something other than the daily grind. Exactly. And what I like about it too, is that it stops people from being unnecessarily self-critical because sometimes really active minded people, they'll become self-critical for those moments, you know, where they're just suddenly thinking of all those issues. They'll say, why am I such a worry wart? Why can't I just stop and relax and be in the moment without giving themselves any credit for the fact that the concerns that they're thinking about are actually pretty smart things. And being able to think about future consequences and strategize is actually a gift. But we want to make sure that we are managing that gift instead of that gift managing us. So the happy medium is an event like the worry time technique. I mean, there's nine techniques in the book because there's a lot of different types of anxiety that can pop up. But the worry time technique is good for people who tend to have a very, very busy, active mind that's always thinking of something. I'm going to raise my hand for that because I am one of those people and and I get disappointed in myself if I feel like I've forgotten something and that can trigger that sense of anxiety. So the worry time has really helped for me. I started doing it when I discovered it from your book and I feel like it helps. Yeah, because I can be hard on myself. Like I can be so angry with myself that, oh my gosh, why didn't I get this done? Or I'm so busy doing other things. So I feel like it's just helping me cope with that sensation of I'm not going to be disappointed in myself. I'm going to realize that I have a lot of things on my plate. I'm going to allot the time to worry about it later. When you do say have that nice full worry time calendar event list, and then let's say that when it's time to work on that list, there's some other random thing that's on your mind, and then your mind is laser focused on something else. It would actually be really hard for you to remember and think of all those other concerns because of that laser beam factor if you hadn't taken the trouble to write them out for yourself so you can just knock them out one by one just by pointing your eyeballs at the list. (laughs) It's so true and it is so effective. So I encourage all listeners to give it a try. I want to ask you a little bit about mindfulness. You say that mindfulness is also known as metacognition. How can that help us manage our anxiety? I was a yoga teacher before I was a psychologist. So I was studying mindfulness for a long time before I became a clinical psychologist. And then around the time I became a psychologist, uh, psychology was really exploring and learning and embracing mindfulness. So I kind of learned about mindfulness from two different ways. And a lot of times people think of mindfulness as just taking a deep breath and being here in the moment. And that's not really a complete picture of what it is, 
mindfulness, I will say as a yoga teacher and a clinical psychologist, to me is really about metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about your thoughts, having a 30,000 foot view of your thoughts. So for example, if you walk into a room and you realize that you're really in a people-pleasing mode, for example, instead of just being in a people-pleasing mode, running around trying to please people and get on everybody's good side without even realizing that that's what you're doing, a person with high mindfulness or metacognition skills will have that meta-awareness and say, oh, gee, I'm really running around trying to please people. And then they'll be able to not become judgmental about it and have a knee-jerk reaction and say, stop it, stop trying to please people and just getting really focused on that. They'll become curious and they'll say, why am I in a people-pleasing mode? Are there stakeholders here that I feel the need to you know, get on board with a project? Did I have a fight with my spouse and I'm feeling unlikable and so I'm trying to prove something here in this situation? Why is it? Why am I in this people-pleasing mode? And having that mindfulness insight about what's going on will actually help you to select a really good next step tool to deal with that people-pleasing so that you're not just trying to stuff it down and get rid of it and say, oh, people-pleasing is bad. You would say, what is the goal behind my people-pleasing and how can I actually meet that goal more strategically? So it is different than just simply being in the moment because we hear this often, just be in the moment and we all try to do that. You know, we live in busy world, we are busy people, we have busy lives. So I, I personally try to just be where I am in that moment and just try to sit there. But I feel like metacognition is more about being self-aware of what you're feeling and why you're reacting to certain things. Yeah, it's like being in the moment, but being fully aware of what that moment is for you, right? Of, of being fully present in the way where you can actually describe, again, like, okay, I'm not just in the moment at a party. I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment at a party feeling really connected to lots of people and feeling eager to talk about such and such. And again, it's about having a very rich awareness of exactly what the moment is for you, which will allow you to make better choices about self-care or anxiety tools or whatever else is going on. Yeah. And I feel like it might help you understand that let's, we're going to use the example of people pleasing that maybe it's just a tactic an individual uses to avoid what they're truly feeling. And, and that's part of healing and part of understanding, you know, that anxiety can lead to doing things that you're maybe not even comfortable with. Exactly. So for example, if you had that awareness that you were people pleasing, and you had that meta awareness of realizing, okay, well, I'm people pleasing out of a sense of low self esteem, then you would want to use certain anxiety tools like thought replacement or whatever else that are specifically intended to bolster your self esteem. If you realized, okay, I'm people pleasing, and then you became curious about it, and you realized it's because there's somebody in this room that's been kind of bullying me and I'm afraid of confrontation and it's hanging over my head so I'm just trying to make myself small and pleasing, that would trigger a different response, which would be to say, okay, I'm going to find an ally and help myself figure out what I need to say to this person and what boundary setting 
activity needs to happen, and then I'm going to execute on that. So we would take that simple awareness, again, of actually being mindful metacognition in the moment enough to know that you're stay in people-pleasing mode, and then being deeper in the moment to understand why you're being that way so that you can help yourself. Sounds like such a useful tool. Your mental shortlist. I really enjoyed it. I love it. I think it makes the most sense. It's a great tactic. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Although I have to say, I'm, I'll say that about every technique, that they're all kind of my favorites. There's nine techniques in the book, and I feel like they're all my favorite. Um, but the mental shortlist technique I love. So what we do with that one is when we have our mind that has been having a cognitive habit of just being stuck on something, right? Like, so suppose I was going to come on your show, Dr. Claudia. And so I had just been living, sleeping, eating and breathing all my talking points, make sure I have everything ready for this show, this show, this show. And it's all I was thinking about. Okay, great. My mind develops a habit of just automatically thinking about it. Now, what about after the show is over and my mind is still auto-tracking onto my talking points or whatever else. It's becoming what psychologists call a rumination topic. It's a dead end topic. I'm thinking about something that no longer needs to be thought about. Instead of beating myself up for that and saying, oh, stop thinking about it. It's over. It's like saying, don't think about, don't think about pink elephants, right? It just causes your brain to think about it. Instead, I want to be grateful for the fact that I have this extra mental energy and I want to point it in the right direction onto something that can serve me now. So what we do with the mental shortlist is we come up with five things that we know are going to be good uses of our mental energy. It can be anything from birthday and holiday shopping to planning a special night with your spouse to work projects that you keep meaning to get onto, thank you notes that you keep meaning to write, planning your um, next fitness class, certain books that you always want to read. But the point is you do have to have your mental shortlist written down for that laser beam factor that we talked about. So while these topics might seem all easy to think of here in my calm state of mind, if I try to reach for them when I'm in a mental snit, a little bit of a mental tizzy, all worked up thinking about a show that I need to not think about anymore, it'll actually be hard for me to come up with those five good topics on my mental shortlist. So it's good to have those mental shortlist topics written out in advance. Well, I hope that my show didn't cause you that much strife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. <laughs> I know. When we come back, Dr. Chloe explains how the anchoring statement technique can help us when your mind goes blank. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Chloe explained what the mental shortlist is and how it works, as well as adding worry time to your calendar. However, she also offers so many other tips on how to harness the power of our anxiety. Dr. Chloe, in your book, you discuss the idea of an anchoring statement. What is that? So anchoring statements can be helpful for people who basically experience a total brain freeze when they get under anxiety. It's colloquially kind of like a panic attack. So I actually have used the anchoring statements technique with actual patients suffering from panic disorder. But even if somebody doesn't have panic disorder, but they just simply have that experience of their mind going completely blank 
and they just feel anxious sometimes. All of a sudden, like they can't even think. First of all, obviously they should go see a doctor if you know they have any concerns at something beyond um, just nerves. But if you know it's really just nerves and that you're just a total mind blanker under stress, the anchoring statements technique is there to help to reactivate the language-based part of your brain because language helps us to solve problems. It's been shown to help slow down the amygdala response, which is the part of us that gets all worked up into fight or flight. And so when people have like a short circuit situation and they temporarily can't think in language, it's a double whammy because they not only can't solve their problem, but they're also getting increasingly anxious out of their awareness that they're not thinking in language. So what we do is we have a pre-crafted memorized statement that is so simple that it would bore you to tears in your normal state, but it's helpful when its only job is to just gently reactivate the language-based part of your brain. So for some people that might be something like, my head is over my shoulders, my shoulders are above my waist, my waist are above my feet. Just something very simple, and you should have it memorized to the point where if I woke you up in the middle of the night, you could say it like the alphabet. But again, the simple function of those anchoring statements is when you feel like your mind is running away like a ship without a rudder at sea, and you want to pull down the anchor and just ground yourself back with language. I love that. That sounds like it'd be so useful to kind of calm down that feeling that you can't speak and you can't think and you can't move beyond a particular situation. When it comes to anxiety, why do we all try to ignore like the low level of anxiety and what happens when we do that? I think that there might have been some kind of a cultural message around, you know, say no fear or that kind of thing where people almost got confused about the idea that anxiety is bad and we should ignore it and that that's the best way to overcome it. Whereas actually there is a healthy function to anxiety, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. I know I have said that, but I really want people to get that message. So just like you're actually more likely to have a big, angry outburst if you don't know how to recognize and express yourself at low levels of irritation, I believe that you're more likely to develop anxiety problems if you keep stuffing low levels of anxiety back in a way and you don't deal with them. So for example, if you're a little anxious about a job interview that's coming up and you just tell yourself, don't be anxious about that, it's almost like you're ignoring a part of yourself and you're refusing to give that part of yourself the tools it's asking for. So when you notice that job interview anxiety, you would say, wow, thanks for the alert there that maybe I want to do some preparation. Maybe that anxiety is stimulating me to arrange a friend to do a mock interview or write down a list of questions that I expect or whatever the case may be. So it's a counterintuitive approach for many people who have the idea that anxiety means take a deep breath and think about the beach or anxiety means take a pill. Now there's a time and a place for a pill and there's a time and a place to just take a deep breath and think about the beach. But if that's our only tool, then we'll get stuck because there is a healthy function to anxiety, which is again, to stimulate preparation behaviors. We need to address our anxiety and we need to use it to harness you know, our own inner power, because that's where we get things done. I feel like that was the message I got from your book and that we should not be ashamed of our anxiety. We shouldn't be scared at all by our anxiety, because I feel like 
people are scared of being anxious and there's really nothing to be scared of. Right, right. It honestly kind of reminds me of people that feel like they want to get rid of all their body fat. They say, I'm going to go on a completely fat-free diet and I want to get rid of fat. That's actually not a healthy thing to do, right? Body fat serves a healthy and protective function. We don't want to go overboard with it, but we also don't want to get rid of it because it's there for a reason. And the same thing is true with anxiety. And as a psychologist, it kind of breaks my heart when I see people just wasting that energy, getting anxious about anxiety or becoming self-critical for having anxiety when really all that anxiety often means is that you have an awareness about something in your life that you need to take some preparation behaviors for, and that anxiety is just trying to stimulate you to do it. So to try to shut down that part of yourself can almost be like self-sabotage. Anxiety affects children of all ages and quite young. Do we start teaching them these techniques at a young age so that they can learn to cope with them? Is that the best strategy? try to think of a bigger or, or a different type of a shift, say, than around cope, right? Because to me, coping still implies that this is a burden that we have to learn how to just somehow accept into our lives. I would like to reframe the anxiety as a springboard of energy because that is the healthy function and the way Mother Nature intended it. And kids do pick up what we're putting down as adults. If our child has anxiety and we say, oh, you know, Junior has anxiety. Oh, let's take a deep breath and just try to see if we can calm that anxiety down. We're actually reaffirming to the child that this anxiety is something bad to be gotten rid of. Instead, we might be able to say, okay, Junior, I see you're feeling a lot of nervous energy about going into your kindergarten class today. Um, Let's see what that anxiety could be, you know, putting on your radar. Is it because you need to think of three or four things to share with kids because you get tongue-tied? Should we come up with three or four topics you want to share with people? Or is it because you struggle about the alphabet lesson and we need to figure out how to work on that with you more at home? To say, what is the helpful message that your anxiety could be bringing to the table for us? We can model that positive relationship with anxiety from the very beginning. That makes more sense than making it sound like anxiety is a problem and you have a problem. Um, We can teach kids to understand why they may feel a little bit anxious and how we can solve the anxiety and use it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the times we are made to believe that we shouldn't be addressing any emotion, whether it's anxiety, whether it's anger, whether it's fear. I feel like it all gets snowballed into one category as being not good. And we need to be able to address how we're feeling because I feel like all those other emotions kind of will turn into anxiety. If we have the idea somehow, right, that feeling sadness or feeling anger or feeling anxiety, you know, means that that we're doing it wrong, (laughs) then again, naturally, we're actually only going to compound our negativity because we're going to feel negative about what's actually a natural feeling. And then we're going to actually 
miss the important awareness that that feeling is bringing to us, right? So if someone, you know, stuffs away their feelings of irritation or anger, they'll miss out on the healthy function of those, which is usually boundary setting behaviors that you're supposed to go have a discussion with somebody about a boundary violation, right? Or if we just put the anxiety aside or feel as if it just happens to us like the weather, then we experience ourselves as powerless instead of saying, oh, well, that anxiety could be stimulating me to do something. Wow, I'm actually very powerful. I'm in control. I can make choices and I can be effective. Um, Anxiety can connect to other things too. The hallmark symptom of depression is helplessness. So if we're feeling anxious, but we somehow stifle the healthy function, and instead we just get stuck on fear and trying to stuff it down and say, oh no, I'm anxious, that's bad. We're making ourselves essentially helpless over whatever is causing the anxiety. We're becoming less proactive and more vulnerable to depressions. All of these things do interconnect. And the bottom line is just to be asking ourselves this gift from mother nature What could it be stimulating me to do? What constructive action could it be stimulating me to take? And so we talked before about kind of like stuffing your emotions uh, down, but eventually you're going to have to deal with it. Eventually that closet is going to overflow and you're going to have to organize it and clean it all out. Is that when, if you do that for a prolonged period of time, does it get harder to harness that power and the energy, you know, I think most people are looking for a quick fix. So is this something that you need to practice? We can't expect to be perfect at it right away. I think that's an important point for listeners. The more that we do practice that, noticing when we're anxious and thinking about how to be constructive with it, the better we will get at it. For example, again, there's nine techniques in my book. And the more that, say, a a person was working on those or whatever techniques, you know, worked for them, the more you just get into the habit of saying, okay, what is this anxious energy directing me to do? You actually start to get dopamine hits, right? When you start saying, wow, I'm, I'm successful. I'm experiencing something in a different way. And it's very positive. However, like you said, we all have days where we get stuck and we just, you know, kind of get in our own way. The thing to do in those situations is actually to congratulate yourself. And that sounds counterintuitive for some people to say, well, why would I congratulate myself when I realize, you know, that I'm isolating or, you know, that I'm self-sabotaging? And the reason is because realizing that you're doing it is such a step forward from not even realizing that you're doing it, right? So let's suppose again, back to the metacognition thing and the people pleasing, you know, you, you're you at a party and you're in total people pleasing mode and you don't even realize it. And then let's suppose you suddenly do realize it and you say, man, for the last hour, I've been walking around, you know, acting like it's my job to make everybody else here happy. Instead of beating up on yourself for that, you would congratulate yourself and you would say, wow, good thing I realized that. I'm obviously building my awareness. Now, the next question is, how can I redirect that energy into a more constructive purpose for myself? I feel like it's a misconception that people who are high achievers, extremely successful, don't suffer from nervous energy. This is definitely not the case. In my experience, a lot of times it's actually the highest functioning, most productive people 
that do have that that extra energy, right? I mean, it's almost it's kind of a joke saying amongst a lot of very successful entrepreneurs and business people that they'll say only the paranoid survive, right? <laughs> and they they say that because they are a step ahead. They are thinking around corners. You know, they they are looking ahead and and strategizing. And that comes from a little bit of anxiety. The opposite of, of anxiety would be complacency, right? Of just, you know, being where you are and, and having no desire to get out of your comfort zone or to move beyond that. Um, and that would be fine. But if you're somebody who does like to test yourself and grow and get out of your comfort zone, um, anxiety is going to be a healthy part of the picture. Everybody get a hold of this book, Nervous Energy. If listeners want to do that. How can they find out about more about you and purchase the book? Thank you so much, Dr. Claudia. I really appreciate that. So if people want to get the book and if they want to leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads, I would so much appreciate that. They can go to nervousenergybook.com. That's nervousenergybook.com. And there they can learn all about, you know, where to get the book. They can get all my social media links and they can send me any screenshots of reviews of the book so I can personally thank them. I'm sure you know how much those mean to authors. So thank you, Dr. Claudia. Absolutely. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.